Well, today is the third Sunday of Lent, and during Lent, we're looking at the mechanics uh, that go into the idea of spirituality. As an engineer learns math and physics to put his engineering into practice, what is it that we do when we do spirituality? Not just the warm fuzzies that we often think about, but the nuts and bolts that go into engaging with the spiritual life. In the first week, I suggested um, that we begin, as Merton says, with intellectual assent, where the mind gives up to the heart and serves it in its journey of love. The mind gives up to the heart and serves the heart in its journey of love. That's really the starting point. We then have that realization that all of consciousness is of one entity. There is no duality, but we're all interconnected in an interdependent way. And this then leads us to the understanding, because we're all connected, that what we do matters and that our role is to sense the guiding of the love that's within us, that we can manifest that love around us. Last week, we looked at the idea of seeing life as a meditation, where we can either choose the survival of the mind or the love of the heart. And in choosing the heart, in choosing to love, we join in with the love that's both within us and around us. This way of being takes us into that experience of unity or non-duality that is the reality of all things. By expressing love within the loving reality of the universe, so we become fully connected with it all and we experience ourselves as one with it all. This may not feel and look like it does in books and films. There may not be a blinding light or an acid trip clarity. There may simply be an understanding that you're completely in the moment, outside time, so that you're in love with that which is right in front of you. You're outside time, but in love with that which is right in front of you through our conscious action of choosing to love what's right in front of us, we come into the presence of the love that's at the centre of everything. We come into the presence of God. In emptying out our minds and letting God through, we come into that place that Thomas Merton describes. He says, God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall truly find myself. I shall be saved. By choosing that love and that union with God, 
we bring ourselves into this unique place. And, you know, two things come up for me when I think about that. The first is that arriving in this place often makes no difference to the way that we feel. We expect enlightenment to feel different. We expect more joy. We expect clarity. We expect love. We have to remember that if we're doing this in love, then we're doing it with no expectation of return. We shouldn't expect to feel any different. There will still be the pain and anguish that we have in our everyday life. It's just that there'll also be a serenity about the fact that you're now doing this and feeling all this in service to the purposes of the divine unfolding in life. You're having those feelings as part of being a living sacrifice to life. Sacrifice in the terms of the original meaning of the word sacre ficio. We are made holy and we are made holy by loving in this way. That serenity is the place of safety that Merton talks about. You may think, you know, why am I bothering with this if it's not going to make a difference to me? The answer, of course, is that the idea is not to make a difference to ourselves, but to make a contribution to everything that's around us. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. Anything else is just trying to make a bargain with God that if I love you, you're going to make me feel better. Now, having said that, I think that the journey of love will enable you to experience love at a much deeper level. And that serenity will grow into a deep and abiding satisfaction as you realise that you're now on a journey not of your own creation, but in the participation with the journey of all creation as it evolves into that deeper consciousness of self-realization. And it's at this point that we're most liable to blow it, to fall off the path and out of love. Because once we think that we're aware of the whole consciousness and of the part that we're playing in it, and that we're united with the divine, then the danger of the mind taking credit for it all is absolutely at its greatest. Which is why that reading that Heather read from Philippians is so relevant. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value yourselves, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship to one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, in that experience, did not consider that equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he then made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Once you're in that place of love, we have to have the humility to serve. Rather than think that we know everything and are always in the right. It's very tempting you know, to think that you're in the right when you're on the spiritual path. And Lent, this, this time now, is one of those times when we look at temptation. We look at the three temptations of Jesus in the desert. And they're all about making himself the centre of things. In the stories, the devil tempted him. First of all, he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The second temptation, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in your hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. And finally, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Those are the three great temptations. First of all, playing to the crowd, creating bread out of stone. Secondly, thinking that you have the answer. You know, you can just throw yourself off a cliff and you just know that God's going to look after you. And finally, taking control of your life. The idea that if you you're doing the right thing. Everything you do will fall into place naturally. Even the angels will come and rescue you if you throw yourself off a mountain. Playing to the crowd, thinking that you have the answer, taking control of your life. Those are the three great temptations of the path of ascent. The temptations that appear to all of us who are trying to get somewhere to ascend. In life, we're always trying to get somewhere, to be more successful, to be more holy, to use our actions to put us somewhere else. But Meister Eckhart says that God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by the process of subtraction. The path of descent is one of letting go of things of abandoning ourselves to God's provision. This is called the kenotic way after the process of kenosis, emptying out. It's the word used in Philippians 2 in that reading when Jesus made himself nothing. That is the kenotic effect. Thomas Merton says, it's almost impossible to overestimate the value of true humility and its power in the spiritual life. For the beginning of humility is the beginning of blessedness, and the consummation of humility is the perfection of all joy. Humility, Merton says, contains in itself the answer to all the great problems of the life of the soul. It is the only key to faith, with which the spiritual life begins. For faith and humility, spirituality and humility are inseparable. In perfect humility, all selfishness disappears and your soul no longer lives for itself or in itself for God. And 
It is lost and submerged in God and transformed into God. Now, to some extent, this is a depressing piece of information, especially to those of us who are really trying to make something of our lives. It seems that we're being told to let go of everything that we're trying to achieve, to abase ourselves as the only way forward in the true spiritual life. But actually, it is saying that a full experience of the loving nature, which is at the centre of all things, can only be brought about in true union with love. And that we have to let go into that love to achieve that union. It's giving us a path into that love, which is what everybody actually wants. It's only by letting go that we can find the path that will lead us to the love which all of us are drawn to. In the Dharmapada, the Buddhist scripture, it says, do not turn away what is given to you, nor reach out for what is given to others. Give thanks for what is given to you, however little. Why miss what you do not have? It is this path of loving what is in front of you, the path of loving what is in front of you, without claiming a righteousness above others that leads us to the next phase of these spiritual mechanics. In the process of loving, we cannot submit to those three th temptations. We cannot s play to the crowd. We cannot think we have the answer. And we cannot try to control the circumstances of life. All of which we're tempted to do in the spiritual life. I am tempted to play to the crowd now in this message. I am tempted to think that I have the answer, when in fact these messages should be delivered with the willingness to be wrong. And I'm tempted to try and control life to make it go in what I think is the right way. All the great religions and politicians are faced with these temptations. And as they go forward from the place of their own perceived success, they have those temptations in front of them, playing to the crowd, thinking they've got the answer, and trying to control life. But that's not the way that we're asked to go. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And you know, there's a part of us that knows that this will not end well. And as we move on this spiritual journey in Lent, you know, when we start to get that, we just begin to shrink back from the nature of being obedient unto death. Even Jesus shrank back from it as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not, it's completely a natural thing to do. But as we're shrinking back, and I can feel myself as I say these words, 
and you are as you probably hear them, we have to be aware of the what is of our shrinking back. And, and to love that too. We have to love even the, our shrinking back as we follow the words of Jesus in, in Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. There's that shrinking back there, and yet that's still giving up. And we have to acknowledge that pain and that shrinking back that we do feel and know that that's part of it and love that part of it as well. That is to love the what is of the fear within us that arises from the conscious choosing of that path of humility. Do not turn away what is given to you, nor reach out for what is given to others. Give thanks for what's given to you, however little. Why miss what you do not have? To engage in the spiritual life may seem fey, a feeble and weak way of life. Unreal compared to the cut and thrust of day-to-day life. But in reality, it is, in living this life, confronting the issues that are central to every life that's lived. These are the key issues. The issues of success and failure. What it is to be truly loving. What it means to die. It's to confront the true nature of reality. And the path that it reveals is not the one most travelled. We're asked to give up what we've been taught is most dear, our dreams, our desires, our ambitions, our success and our survival. And instead, give of ourselves to life without an expectation of return. This is why the spiritual life is hard and why it so easily leads us into those three great temptations. Because a little knowledge is always a dangerous thing. We get so far, we give our intellectual assent to the heart, we see ourselves as part of a whole, we consciously give love to what's front of us, and suddenly we see ourselves as being righteous, of knowing what works, of knowing what love is, and therefore being in a position to tell others what to do and how to do it. And woe betide those that don't follow our lead. And there go many of the iterations of religion that we see in the world today. It's so tempting once we're halfway down the spiritual path to put on the mantle of judgment and think that we know. We're loving, we're caring, we can see what needs to be done because we're right. We know what righteousness looks like and we want others to follow us down that path. So we take our success in religion and we make something of it. We convert our religious and spiritual currency into worldly currency. And so we return to the way of the world. 
You can see it throughout all church history where the power of the church becomes the central issue. But this is the precise moment that we fall off the path because that is not the way of kenosis, of making ourselves nothing, of humbling ourselves and becoming obedient unto death. As Mother Teresa loved to say, we were not created to be successful, even spiritually successful. We were created to be obedient. Our role is to keep with the path of love, even when there is pain. Not to lift our eyes from that path to the possibilities that might await us elsewhere, but to keep in the way of love, to keep intellectually assenting to the way of the heart and of love rather than the path of the mind and of survival. Only with humility can we continue on the path of love and keep cultivating that sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. For, as Thomas Merton says, the humble man is not afraid of failure. In fact, he's not afraid of anything, even himself, since perfect humility implies perfect confidence in the power of God, before whom no other power has any meaning and for whom there is no such thing as an obstacle. Humility is the surest sign of strength. So do you know what I think is interesting? I think it's what's interesting is the way that, in a sense, the history of religion and spirituality mirror our personal spiritual journeys. And, and I think you can see in the history of the church where you know, there's that great spiritual sort of um, blossoming that happens in the early church and in Jesus and, and it's passed down from generation to generation and suddenly, boom, 300, Constantine decides that this is the way forward, takes the power and converts it. And you get, you know, the madness of the Spanish Inquisition where they all think they're right and therefore they have to torture everybody because they're not behaving in the way that should be behaved. And, you know, it all falls apart. And we have that same lesson for ourselves in our own lives. You know, to take that path of humility right the way down in our own life. And, you know, in the moment things come our way that we don't like, we just want to shape it and take control. And I just think that's interesting the way the macro and the micro are so similar. Yeah, that is really interesting. And what, what I find so helpful is to go where, all the way back to the beginning and to just think of, of Jesus, you know, Yeshua as a wisdom teacher, as a master of consciousness and transformation, and to just, just to emulate what he was, his life, how did he live? How, what was he demonstrating and modeling through his life and through his death? And what, what I find so touching is, is this path of descent that he modeled. And, uh, it, you know, it seems to be embedded in all the, in the, all the world religions and spiritual traditions, this, the path of ascent. And, you know, maybe that's just somehow really in our human uh, unconscious collectively, you know. But he, what he modeled was um, something completely different. There's, 
extravagant generosity around approaching our lives with this attitude of, of letting go and deep surrender and trust. Um, that is, you know, and that is so humble and so touching and so inviting. And you can see that surrender, can't you? Uh, it's not only the, you know, making himself nothing and the temptations, but in that last period of time that we're about to come into, of towards the crucifixion, from the moment that Judas kissed him, he then becomes actively passive and completely allows himself to be taken. And, and the crowd say, look, you know, save yourself. You, you, you've saved everybody else. And, and that demonstrates that pass of, of, of dissent, doesn't it? Yeah, that he was just so willing, so present, so could see his part in, in the trajectory of like, what his life was about, the purposiveness of history yeah. of which he was a part. And, you know, his willingness to, to, to do that with, with dignity, without fighting it, to give his heart, that the self-emptyingness of it um, is, is really inspiring to me. Yeah. yeah. And, and, Dan, we can see it in everyday life, can't we? I mean, you know, the idea of humility. And I love that, that phrase that Merton talks about, about being, you know, the answer to all, all life situations actually is that that humility in, in personal relationships, in politics, and, you know, in, in our careers, in songwriting. I mean, do you, do, you, do you see that working out in everyday life as well? I do. I do. Um, and sort of uh, accepting whatever's coming our way. Yes. And not just always trying to shape our life to, to get the pleasurable things, but to also be open what's coming our way, um, difficult or painful, whatever it might be. Um, I was just thinking about when you were speaking there about uh, prayer and meditation. Um, as a younger person, I used to pray for a certain outcome. I'd pray harder, whatever would come true. And now that I'm a little bit older and hopefully um, my goal is acceptance, I just pray to be in acceptance, to be in harmony with what's going on. Um, and I find that that's where I find my peace. Yeah, and that really reflects that phrase from the Dharmapada about, you know, why want something that someone else has got? Right. You know, be, be, be content right. with what life is giving to you. And that, that's really the path of the chaotic path, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and just pouring out. I mean, this is what I, I see in Jesus' life. Like he was just pouring out his, his love. And it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Um, it seems that all the spiritual things are counterintuitive in a way. That are... Uh, in pouring out, it, we're deeply replenished. There's nothing. There's nothing to hoard or, or hold on to, but in just in just giving giving of ourselves and self-emptying and trusting, and um, that that's the most generative thing we can do, both for ourselves and each other. And you know, in the spiritual path, you know, even that desire to be enlightened is the path of ascent, isn't it? You, you want you to have an experience or to get somewhere. It's just so tempting. We go on courses, we do all these things, you know, because we want to get somewhere. Even the desire to, you know, to become more calm and, and stable and steady and, and loving even. Yeah. It's just like, let, let it all go. And this is, why yeah. I love, this is why I love the practice of centering prayer, because it's literally just, it's just letting it, you're just, you just let go. You're just self-emptying and there's no agenda. There's no, there's no outcome you're going for. You're just there. You're just available, giving yourself. 
The Path of Centering Prayer, available from Heather Beasy, <laughs> 9 till 9.30, Monday to Thursday. The meditation, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about actually the process of emptying out. So those meditations are fantastic. Thank you for that. And you, it's something you study. <laughs>